message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to do something a little special with you this morning, this Mother's Day. I'm a little loud there, boys. I think it'll, uh, I think it'll be okay for us to pause our series in 1 John. All right, we can jump back into that. I'd like to share with you this morning about the uh, most famous mom of all time. The most famous mom of all time. Before I do that, uh, usually on these holiday messages, I like to give you something a little bit fun. So moms, this one's for you. Found it last night. It's the evolution of a mom. See if, uh, see if this holds true for you. If you've gone from one child to two children to three children, you'll recognize that there are some differences in how things play out, right? I only made it to two, and uh, we got smart. And, and so I, I don't get the third one. I, I imagine that it's, this is accurate. So you, you guys with three, you can uh, amen as loudly as you want. Heath, I was thinking about you, brother. And you jumped straight from one to three, and so you, can just, you just missed out on, on the second evolution of this whole thing. Ah, clothes, ladies. With your first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms you are pregnant, whether you need to or not. With the second baby, you wear your regular clothes for as long as you possibly can and probably too long. With the third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. Baby's name. With the first baby, you pour over the baby name books. You practice pronouncing the names and writing combinations of first and second. And how does it look when they write it out in cursive, but they don't write in cursive anymore, so that doesn't matter. And you, and you, and you take all this time. With the second baby, someone has to name their kid after uh, your great Aunt Mavis, right? And so it might as well be you. With the third baby, you open the name book, close your eyes, point down to the, to the page anywhere that it may fall, Bimbaldo, okay, that sounds good, and you, and you go for it. In preparing for the birth with your first baby, you practiced breathing religiously. With your second baby, you didn't bother practicing because you remember it from the first time, and you remember it didn't do you any good the first time. With your third baby, you asked for an epidural in month eight. <laughs> the layette. With the first baby, you pre-washed your newborn's clothes, uh, you color coordinated them into the drawers that they were going to go into and in night clothes and morning clothes and after they spit up clothes and you did all that and you hung them up, color coordinated. Uh, you fold them neatly into the little bureau that you bought for the baby. The second baby, you check to make sure that the clothes are clean and you discard only the ones with the darkest poop stains in them. <laughs> the third baby, you say to your husband, boys can wear pink now, right? Is that Okay. Worries change the more kids you have as well, right? The first baby, at any sign of distress, any whimper, any frown, you pick up the baby to fix it. The second baby, you pick the baby on, up only when it's crying and you're afraid it's going to wake up the first baby. With the third baby, you teach your golden retriever how to rewind that mechanical swing timer. <laughs> Activities change. As children come along with your first baby, you take them to infant baby gymnastics, baby dance, baby story hour, baby this and baby that. Second baby, you just stop at baby gymnastics because you realize infant babies can't dance. 
The third baby, you take your infant to the supermarket and through the automated car wash, and that's about it for fun. Going out evolves as well, right? First baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five, six, ten times. You make sure that your cell phone is on and on loud no matter where you are. The second baby, just before you walk out the door, you remember that you've got to leave a number where you can be reached. The third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if someone is bleeding profusely. And it's usually grandma's phone number, not yours. <laughs> Finally, things at home change too. With the first baby, you spend a bit of every day just gazing at the newborn babe. Oh, look at the baby. The second baby, you spend a bit of time every day watching to be sure the older kid isn't poking, prodding, checking the soft spot of the new baby. The third baby, you spend a little bit of time every day hiding from the children in your bathroom. <laughs> Amen. Who do you think it is? Who do you think the most famous mom of all time would be? Tracy. Miss Tracy. Oh. All right. Q gets brownie points. Yeah, what did you do? You'd probably have to say Mary if you really thought about it. I look back at all my Mother's Day messages over the years, and uh, I've never taught a message on Mary. In fact, uh, I can't think of ever, not just on Mother's Day, but ever teaching a message on Mary at all. Uh, You might be hard-pressed in your own memory to think of a message on Mary. Historically, there has probably been more artwork, more writing, poetry, etc. done on her than any other woman who's lived. And yet, she was only uh, about a sophomore when life really changed for her. You know, 15 years old. If we were casting for the part of Mary, you know, we'd, we'd have Heather working there, right? Sorry to yeah, freak you out there, Steve. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, that, it, it, that's it. It fits. Uh, she's only mentioned ten times in all the Gospels, only once in Acts, never by Paul, never by Peter, the rest of the New Testament writers. Yet she made, uh, she's made kind of this divine figure in Christianity, isn't she? And that is, uh, that's somewhat unfortunate that she's put on such a pedestal. Uh, that's another sermon for another day. Nonetheless, Mary is a lesson for us all, though. Male and female on this Mother's Day. So moms, I'm not just talking to you. My hope is that we all kind of learn something from this most famous of all mothers on this Mother's Day. Mary sits, if you think about her life, she sits at the very vortex of human history, doesn't she? How would you like, mom, to have been the mama entrusted with the incarnation? The birth and the raising of the Son of God. Mary's life is interesting to ponder. We don't get, as I said, a whole lot of information on it. But if you start to really think about the life of Mary and and what her perspective on things must have been through the life of Christ, I mean, there's some good questions to ask maybe one day when you get to heaven of Mary, you know. I kind of started wondering as I was working on this sermon how much Mary knew you know, I mean, she she got this she got this revelation. She got this proclamation from an angel that told her what was going down. Right. But you got to you got to believe that she 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 had to later through the years be second guessing and wondering. And what does that fully mean? And and she had some information that that you and I, you know, weren't necessarily going to get 
but she didn't have the full picture, right? I mean, you and I have, have the ability to put the Old Testament and the New Testament and to back up really far and to look at it all and see how it all kind of ties together and makes sense, right? And, but she was, she was up close and personal with Jesus, and maybe she really couldn't see the forest for the trees, so to speak, as to, as to really what this meant that she was having the Son of God. She's in the lineage of David, but she's not in the famous lineage of David, which would be Solomon's lineage. Uh, She makes the lineage of David through, anybody know the name? Anybody know what son of David she comes from? It gets mentioned in, I think it's Matthew's lineage, uh, where Jesus comes through via Mary. And it's, uh, it's a guy named Nathan. It's the son of David named Nathan. I think that's an interesting study in and of itself. I've always wondered if David named one of his sons Nathan after the guy who confronted him after the whole Bathsheba thing. You remember that? He had the David and Bathsheba story, really, that's right, famous. And then Nathan, the prophet of God, comes to David, and you know the whole story. He tells him this elaborate kind of story about someone who stole stuff. And what would you do, David? And David says, bring me this guy. And Nathan says, well, you're the man. You're the one. Don't. Right. Well, I think it's interesting that he names one of his kids, Nathan. That's one of the questions I'm going to ask in heaven is, David, that had to be a hard moment when when Nathan dropped that bomb. You're the one who's the sinner here. Right. But I wonder if David so appreciated his friend, Nathan, that he named one of his sons after him. And even more interesting that the that the the lineage of the Davidic line through Mary is of Nathan. I say that, though, to say that, that again, she, she's blue-collar. She's, she's blue-blood. She doesn't come through the regal line of David. She doesn't come through Solomon. She was from a little place called Nazareth, of which is mocked. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? It was far out of town. The, the point is this. There's nothing inherently special or superhuman about this girl. You can't even really call her a woman. Right yet, can you? Yet the record we have of her is worth considering for a number of reasons. So what I did was I just went back and I I read through passages in the New Testament that include Mary. You find some interesting things, and I want to give you a handful that stuck out to me. Mary's life really, really picks up when Gabriel told this young virgin that she was going to have a child. A child who would be the son of God and reign over the house of Jacob forever. You remember her answer? Heck, you say. What? How, how is that going to happen? How can this be? Gabriel's answer to her was that the Holy Spirit would come upon her so that the child's conception would be divine. And then he gave Mary this added bit of confirmation. Do you remember what he, remember what he told her? He said, you, you have an older kinswoman by the name of Elizabeth. Uh, she's up in age and she's barren. Kids, that means that she couldn't have kids up to this point. She was getting, she was getting elderly and she hadn't had any kids yet. And, and she was trying, but she never could have kids. And the angel tells Mary, Mary, go find your friend Elizabeth. Because guess what? Uh, Elizabeth's going to have a baby too. Anybody remember who Elizabeth's baby was going to be? John the Baptist, who would be what we call the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He would declare the way for Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting how how the angel 
put all this together for her. You're, you're going to have God's son. And if you need some confirmation, if you need some surety for that, go, go check with Elizabeth because you remember she's not been able to have a baby. She's going to have a baby too. So if you need a little, if you need a little, a little push towards faith here, here you go. And so the testimony of Scripture is that, that Mary says, okay, and she goes. She goes to visit her friend. Luke 1, 39 and following says this, Mary rose and rent with haste, Luke 1, 39, into the hill country to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe, that's little John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. Wow, have you ever really thought about that? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's, it's so interesting. The angel earlier in Luke 1.15, the angel had told Zechariah, you remember what he told him? That John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that John the Baptist would be, would, would be a spokesman, would be a witness to Jesus Christ who would come after him. But he says something interesting to Zechariah, that, that John the Baptist would have this filling of the Spirit even in utero. And here, when Mary goes to Elizabeth, it comes true. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and, and, and the baby is in her and John just kicks her right in the diaphragm and says, that's him. E- even before Jesus is on the scene, even before John the Baptist is on the scene, he's testifying to the coming of Jesus Christ. Wow. You think, you think Mary's faith has increased? I think it is. I think it is. Um, it's at this point of confirmation that Mary bursts into a song. She bursts into a song. It's called, you know what it's called traditionally, historically? The Magnificat. Yeah. We get words like magnificent from this. She breaks into poetry or, or song and, and she just, she worships. This is one of the passages I read as I was trying to get a grasp on who, who Mary was in her life. What makes her so special other than the fact that she was the one by grace given the child to carry who was God. Interesting things you find when you read about Mary. I'm going to give you a few of them. The first thing that struck me as I was reading through the Magnificat is her humility. Her humility. I want to read through it with you. If you want to turn in your Bible, you can do this. Luke uh, 1. Starting, where is it at, guys? 49. Sorry, I didn't make a note of this. Help me out, Seth. Where am I? 146. There we go. No, that's not it. Yeah, it is. I'm in two. That's why. Very good. And Mary said, here's her song, my soul exalts the Lord. This is right after John the Baptist kicks Mary. Confirmation has come. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. 
Notice how she sees herself. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. One of the things I noticed right off the bat, and I think, I think the writer here uh, is really trying to emphasize the humility of Mary. Not only Mary, but you could also say of Elizabeth as well. It's, a, it's an interesting scene. You have two very obscure, humble women in this story. Moms. One old and barren, and one young and inexperienced, we might say. Nothing, nothing special to note of either one of them at this point. The author of this gospel seems to go to great lengths to record their humility. Elizabeth says, you remember in chapter 1, verse 43, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? See her humility? Mary says in 148, The Lord has regard for the lowest state of his handmaiden. point is this, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, those of humble heart, people who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the, by the consciousness of the magnificent God. It's as if Mary and even Elizabeth are trying to communicate that they can't believe that they are a part in any form or fashion of this whole incarnation thing. But they find themselves right at the vortex of it. How about you? Could it be said of you that you are humble as Mary or Elizabeth were humble? The next thing I noticed about Mary was her praise here. In this passage, this song is amazing, but what you could call it is it's, it's, it's the moment of, of heartfelt worship that just flows out of Mary. It comes from the depths of her soul. In this moment, in this moment of confirmation, it just happens for Mary. It's worship on the spot. It's amazing all that she says. Her, her praise impresses me. One of the things you'll notice as you read through, as you study this, this song, is that it all, all the praise is directed towards God. Even the things that she says about herself are, are lowering herself and elevating God. It, it, it's, it's in practice that the he must become more and I must become less. It's, it's humility at its, its best. And it's all praise to God. The things she says about herself aren't meant to elevate herself. Read carefully. Take the whole context of what you read there. And Mary, Mary is blown away that she's a part of this plan. Her praise amazes me. It's, 
You might say it's her Isaiah 6 moment. It's her burning bush moment. God has become very real to her in this moment. And just like Isaiah would fall on his face and give praise to God, pure, natural, heartfelt worship before God, just, just like the burning bush, the shoes just come off in the presence of God, in that holy place, worship happens very naturally. I think, I think that's Mary's moment. This song comes from the depth of her heart. I love her praise. It's a great model for worship. The third thing I noticed is that in her praise, we find that her heart just overflows with Old Testament. Put another way, her heart just overflows with the Word of God. Uh, there's no seeming direct quotes here, but many have tried to do it. And you can, you can link almost all of what she says here back into the Old Testament, to Psalms, to other passages, to quotes. It is just, it is just overflowing with the Word of God as she had it in her day. It's been said that there are at least 14 to 15 references to the Old Testament in these few verses. There's some parallel here. If you want to go back and study it, I'll not take the time to do it this morning. But if you go back and you look at Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, you're going to find a, a close parallel there. But this just flowed out of her heart. It just flowed out of her heart. So how are we doing on humility? Mary's a good example for us. How, how are we doing on our praise and worship? Natural praise and worship. I'm not talking about coming here and it's time to sing, so everybody stand. We'll sing until we're done singing and Ricky gets down. And then we get it and we'll wait for the message. And then we've got to go through one more song at the end. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like God, God is real in this moment for me and, and I can't help but do anything else but burst into praise. How, how's your praise doing? And when, and when that praise comes... Is there any backbone to it? Is there, are there any bones to it? Is there any meat to it? Has, has the Word of God been hidden in your heart some way or another that when you go to express praise, it comes out in God's own words? I hope so. I hope so. Remember, she was only about 15. The fourth thing I noticed was her Great obedience. I want to take you to another passage. John chapter 2 was another passage that stuck out to me. If you're familiar with John chapter 2, we get the first miracle of Jesus. It would be turning water into wine. It's an interesting passage because mom in this passage gets kind of rebuked. Jesus, uh, most scholars believe, shows up with the disciples to this wedding party. And the wedding parties in this day could last a whole week or so. It's most likely that Jesus' mom had some kind of connection to the wedding party and, and it's very likely that, that Mary was, was part of the coordination of the funeral. Or not the funeral, did I say funeral? Sorry. Dang it. Uh, Mary was part of the wedding coordination of some sort, parting a, part of putting this party together. If they were close friends, Mary would be a part of this. And so there comes a point where they run out of wine and that was a big deal because in the planning for these kind of wedding parties, you would, you would measure out how many guests were going to come and, and, and how much wine are we going to need. And, and um, it, it could be, one scholar noted, I thought it was interesting, that it may be that Mary brings Jesus and all his buddies, but they didn't expect Jesus and all his buddies, and so they run out of wine pretty quick. I don't, maybe, I don't know. I think that's conjecture. But for whatever reason, Mary's involved enough that she comes to Jesus and she just says to him, hey, you know what? They're out. They're out of drink. 
Now, it's interesting that she never, she never suggests, at least in our reading, she never suggests that Jesus do anything about it. But from Jesus' response, you get the inference that Mary was kind of like, hey, listen, they're out, you know. And I don't know if she wanted him to run down to the corner store or what she wanted him to do, but it's as if, from Jesus' response, that she's kind of pushing him into this first miracle. Moms are a little pushy like that sometimes, right, kids? Amen? Yeah? So maybe, maybe that's part of it. And you remember what Jesus says is, woman, what is this? Why are you involving me in this? What does this have to do with me? And it's interesting for a couple reasons. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a rude thing, you know. Anytime I jokingly, you know, call out to my wife, woman, she doesn't like that. Guys, don't do that, all right? And I just do it sometimes just as a little jab. You, you can try it, but you might get punched in the face. Typically, ladies don't like to get called woman, right? So that's not good. But that's really not what Jesus is doing here. It's more like him saying, ma'am. So he's showing her some respect, but he, he's in, in using this, this phrase, this word, he, he's kind of separating himself here a little bit. He's not saying mom, ma'am, so it's interesting. And then he goes on to say, well, what, is this, what does this have to do with me? And that's an interesting phrase because the majority of time that that, that phrase is used in the New Testament, it's used of demons talking to Jesus because Jesus is putting his nose into the demon business and the demons are like, hey, what do we have to do with each other? Why don't you stay in your realm and I'll stay in my realm? And so that's kind of the idea here that Jesus is using. It's interesting with mom here. Ma'am, what is it? why are you getting me involved in this? My time has not yet come. And that's really the, the important part of the, of the passage of the story. Listen, mom, I, 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 okay, I get what you want me to do here, but it, you don't understand. It's not time for me to start this yet but even more interesting is he goes ahead and does it right um jesus and we talked about this weeks ago when we did a series on the life of jesus jesus was always obedient to mom and dad always mom jesus was the perfect child can you imagine he was he was the perfect child but in this moment and it's a pivotal moment in this moment mom mom is probably at least suggesting that Jesus stepped to the forefront here a little bit. This is where I start to wonder about Mary and her whole life and, you know, what she knew and what she didn't know and how much she had figured out by this point, right? And like, I mean, has she seen Jesus kind of like doing miracles, you know, in the sandbox already? And so like she kind of said, hey, you can do this. I don't fix this. You can do this. Show them. Show them what you can do, son. Right? I mean, a proud mom moment kind of thing. Maybe. I mean, maybe she's wanting them to do a trick, a little magic you know, miracle trick thing here or there. Um, but what she says after this in the next verse is kind of interesting. And I, I've look, I think I'm looking at it in a different way. She says, uh, in effect, she says to the servants, and, and you get the idea that she's kind of brought some of the servants with her. That's where we kind of get the wedding coordination thing, right? That she's involved in this somehow. Because there's servants there, and she says to the servants immediately, do whatever he says to do. And at first reading, I kinda, I've kind of always historically looked at this and thought, well, you know, she wants Jesus to do, do a miracle, do a trick here, and step to the forefront and begin his messianic, you know, moment. And, uh, and so, yeah, hey, hey, whatever he says do, yeah, do it. Just believe me, just watch this, just do it. That's kind of how I looked at it. But um, I, I think I'm reading it a little differently now. Because I think Mary probably received in a way that Jesus intended 
the correction, rebuke, whatever you want to call it, ma'am, why are you, why are you involving me? It's not my moment yet. But then Jesus takes this opportunity as it presents himself, and he's going to teach through it. And he's going to show some very interesting things. It's another sermon for another day, but, but essentially he's going to take these purification pots and, and use them for the miracle. And that was an interesting choice, but essentially he's going, to, he's going to give an example that when his time does come, he's going to be the ultimate source of purification. And then the guy, the head waiter who's in charge is going to get this wine. He's going to be like, this is the best wine. Normally they save the best wine for, for the beginning and then you give them the watered down stuff later because they're not going to know the difference. But the, the waiter, he's tasting the stuff that Jesus has done now, and he's like, this is the best stuff. And he goes not to Jesus, he goes to who? He goes to the bridegroom. The bridegroom is the one ultimately responsible for the party and, and all the supplies for the party. He's like, dude, you, you got the good stuff here at the very end. Way to go. Awesome. Right? But what's really exposed here in, in Jesus performing this miracle is that Jesus would be the final and the ultimate bridegroom that would make sure that all is amply supplied. And so Jesus uses this moment. He, he takes the opportunity, but you get this, this separation from mom here. It's an interesting story. He, it's as if he says, mom, I've always, I've always been under your authority, but this isn't my time. I, I, I'm not connected to this in this way. I have an authority higher than you, ma'am. I think she recognizes that. I think that when she says, do whatever he says, it may, be, it may be that Mary kind of takes a step back and says, okay, just whatever this man says, he's right. He's right. What a, what a testimony. What a testimony of Mary as she's walking this path of trying to figure out who this child she is raising really is. Remember, forest for the trees thing. She's up close and personal with this God-man. That's her son, her child. And she's got a sense that he can do some miraculous things and that he's supposed to be more than she, she fully understands. And at this moment, I, I, I kind of get the idea that she steps back and says, he's right. Whatever he says, do it. What a testimony, moms, to point to Jesus for all the world and say, whatever this man says, that's what we ought to do. Her obedience impresses me. Last, last thing. There's more, but I'll just give you this last one. Her silence impresses me. Now, as I say that out loud, it doesn't sound very good. Uh, I'm, not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to slight our ladies here on Mother's Day. I'm not saying that silence is... Uh, is a positive attribute for our ladies in particular. Remember, this is a message for all of us to learn from, right? Well, let me explain what I mean. I get, I get this because of what you can't find in Scripture. I, 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 get, I get this point about Mary because Mary in all of Scripture never utters a word of protest throughout the entire passion of the Christ, her son. As I can remember, I was thinking back last night uh, to seeing Mel Gibson's The Passion. I remember thinking when I watched that for the first time and seeing Mary, you remember Mary? 
throughout the passion. She's, she's in the periphery, isn't she? And you can sense the, the pain. But I think, I think Mel captured it pretty well. She never, she never says a thing. Now, maybe, maybe you've never thought about that. R- wrap your mind around that for a moment. Because I think it connects back to her obedience, her knowledge of Old Testament prophecy, her, her, pure, her pure heart praise, her humility. I think it all, I think it all culminates that on, on the worst days, in the worst moment, we find, we find her completely silent. Not a single word of protest recorded in Scripture. And her son, beaten, drugged through town, bloodied, crucified. Mary laid her son on the altar. In the Old Testament, we see, we see a type of this. We see Abraham lay Isaac on the altar of sacrifice. And Abraham patiently and faithfully waiting for God to intervene on his behalf, on the behalf of his son. Now listen to me. Mary, in much the same way, lays her son on the altar of sacrifice and God never intervenes. There is no lamb caught in the thicket. There is, no, there is no ram caught by its horns to be used instead of Jesus. He is the ram. And she doesn't say a word. Call it obedience. Call it humility. Call it what you will. Mary is an impressive figure. She's not the superhuman, maybe, that some of us have made her out to be. There's nothing divine about Mary. She was shocked she was involved. But there's plenty to learn from her. Amen? The most famous mother of all time. Pray with me. Lord, I pray this Mother's Day that we all learn something from this, the most famous of all mothers. Humble, heartfelt worshiper, lover of your truth, obedient, even to the point of silence. She's an impressive figure. And we would do well this Mother's Day to learn from her small, humble, and even at moments silent testimony. It's amazing how in Scripture, Lord, we are given examples that would seemingly be great in weakness. But yet, by your grace, they're simply great. So this Mother's Day, we thank you for for one to look to, for encouragement and strength. I pray that our moms would, uh, by the testimony of Mary, be encouraged that they could be called to great things and have no 
no greatness of their own to offer. I mean, Lord, that's Mary. Called to greatness, but no greatness of her own to offer. Lord, in this very moment, would you encourage would you encourage those who are empty, those who are downtrodden, those who uh, are in need of encouragement this morning. Holy Spirit, I can't preach that into the hearts. If I could, I would. So Holy Spirit, we beg you to do your work now. In this place and in the coming days. Holy Spirit, do the work in the darkness of our hearts. Water the seeds of faith that are down deep. Sprout them. Cause them to flower into something beautiful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.